This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. You know, maybe Grandpa told you that you're not supposed to talk or you'll scare away the fish. Do you remember that? Sitting on the banks and fishing with a cane pole and a bobber and him telling you not to talk. Well, there is wisdom in that, in that if you are a grandpa or somebody who's taking a young person fishing, it's a wonderful way to get them to be quiet for a few minutes. Now, how much does that impact the fly fishing? I'm not particularly convinced And I'll talk about that today, because today I want to talk about four ways to think about approaching the water, and maybe some myths or some priorities that have been a little bit flipped around um, what we think about when we think about approaching the water and fly fishing. So perhaps, you know, Grandpa told you something about how you're supposed to um, be quiet when you're fishing, or maybe you watched a uh, super artsy video on YouTube or a fly fishing film festival where the anglers moved incredibly slow, like herons stalking trout. And so whatever the reason, you are convinced that the trout that you're fishing for are the smartest creatures on this planet. And not just smart, paranoid you know, they don't do anything, but they wait for anglers to come, and uh, they're watching out for goofballs dressed the nines and really fancy shirts with capes on the backs and vents in the armpits and waders that have zippers on them so that you can relieve yourself, you know, appropriately, and uh, all of the other um, fancy trappings of fly fishing. But this is what a trout does. It is spending its entire life waiting for you. So some of that is reality. Because at the end of the day, fish are really only doing a few things, right? They're looking to eat, they're looking to make baby fish, and they want to stay alive enough to do both of those things. So they are concerned about predators. They are. That being said, they don't live in fish bowls. 
They don't live in um, controlled environments where there's nothing happening around them. So it's not as if you're encountering trout, bass, whatever, in vacuums. You're encountering fish that are in nature, that are experiencing all sorts of stimuli all the time. And as people are often, you know, um, want to do, we see ourselves as the most important thing in wherever we are. And so that, I, I believe, kind of translates into the way that we think about the way that uh, we impact the environment when we enter it. And if you've spent any prolonged amount of time outdoors, whether it be fly fishing or hiking, you know that we do have a significant impact. But if we're by ourselves or in small groups, there's not as much impact as we think, especially if we're not being ridiculous. We're not running, we're not yelling, we're not uh, being particularly um, flashy and bright and shooting off fireworks or pistols like Yosemite Sam walking down the trail or the stream. So do we have to move slowly? Absolutely. You know, do we have to be quiet? Of course, but within reason. Fly fishing for fish in water isn't the same thing as hunting deer with bowie knives. You know, you you want to have some sort of decorum when you're riding the subway too. If you're loud and ridiculous, you're going to get beat up. So it's it's not like um, you know you act one way normally in one way while you're fly fishing. So there's a, a lot of folklore in fly fishing and about a lot of unwritten rules or actually written rules if you know blogs and books count about how fly fishers are supposed to approach the water and you know some of that is really hard to get away from you know it's easy to say hey don't go running into the river hey don't be you know yelling up and downstream to your buddies but a lot of us do think that you know what you can't wear a hat with a bright logo on it you know, you, you can't uh, uh, have a, a pair of waders that have, uh, um, you know, a, a contrasting zipper that's going to spook and frighten all the fish. I've, I've heard these these statements. I've heard these arguments and you've seen it reflected in what manufacturers are doing. Some of it, you know, with the camouflage waders and the camouflage jackets and things like that, which to be truth be told, I wear that stuff, not because I think I'm tricking the fish, but because I have it and it works really well for hunting. And so why spend a lot of money on a fly fishing jacket and a hunting jacket? So I'll wear my mossy oak. So if anything, the fish will think that there's a really handsome shrub coming down the middle of the stream. But I've heard that argument that, you know, you can't have anything that stands out. We'll talk about that here in a second. You know, but all of these things, the way that we look, especially the minutia of it, the way we approach water matters but it doesn't matter nearly as much as how you present your fly. So you could be the stealthiest person in the world. You can be the quietest person in the world. You can wear a ghillie suit, you know, one of those leaf and uh, grass-covered um, ponchos as you creep up on the stream. But if you uh, don't know how to present the fly with a natural drift, it's not going to um, do anything for you. The fish aren't going to be fooled by you or, or by their... Um, by your your fly so this isn't a list i'm going to go through four different things it's it's not really a list it's kind of like a, a hierarchy things that i would say are most important to least important but even then circumstances are going to dictate which is best and which is worst um what you have to really emphasize and what you don't um so it's kind of like a dry fly so you know you look at the pattern of some traditional 
um, Catskill dry fly. And would it be nice to have Spanish muskrat hindquarter hair for the tail on that on that fly to make it match exactly what was tied 85 years ago? Absolutely. You know, but if you use super value brand rabbit fur, it'll do just fine because it's more about presentation. It's one variable, one facet in a multitude of elements that go into the presentation and you're part of that presentation. You know, you are part of presenting the fly to the fish, where you stand, how you cast, where your line is, where you are in relation to the sun, where your line is in relation to that fish are all part of the presentation. It's a whole lot more than just that fly. So here, here are a few things to think about. First thing, color. So I worked for Orvis years ago and they used to produce and sell a shirt called the Patch Madras shirt. And this thing would always be in the back of the catalog. And it, in one sense, was ugly as sin, but it was so kind of gaudy that it was spectacular. It was all of these two or three inch irregular squares. So the squares were, were, were regular, of course, it makes it a square, but they were different size squares kind of patched together in this just, I mean, hideous shirt. But such that you thought, you know what, I could wear that shirt in Key West and really have a, a wonderful time. So this thing was the ugliest shirt you could think of. And honestly, you could wear that trout fishing and in virtually every situation, that shirt, a blaze orange shirt or a real tree camo shirt, it's not going to matter. First of all, you know, have you ever been underwater and looked up? Now, I understand that trout have better peripheral vision than us. They also spend the entirety of their lives looking up and out of the water. At the same time, you don't have the same sort of visual acuity looking through the water column, through the refraction of light, and with a less um, uh, advanced uh, eye structure as humans do. So trout aren't seeing the things things the same way that we are. And if you've ever seen that diagram, which you just Google how fish see, and you'll see that there's a narrow cone, and once it hits the uh, surface of the water, it goes wider. Well, the reality is, is that as long as you're not on top of the fish, you're probably going to be obscured. As long as you're not standing on a ladder, as long as you're not up in a tree, and any of those things, you're probably going to be obscured. And even then, if you're further, fur, far enough away from the fish, you're going to be obscured simply because you are at a distance. So if you're wearing that gaudy, multicolored shirt, or just whatever shirt you're, you happen to have on, you're going to catch fish. And here's why I know that. For years and years and years, I fished with a drab hat. It was tan and olive, and it had a very muted brook trout pattern on the front of it. And that was my fly fishing hat. I wore that all the time. Then I switched over to a Chicago Cubs hat that was bright blue, and I wore it um, all the time, fishing and working on um, roofing and you know um, working out in uh, um, my yard, and it went from bright blue to dark blue. I didn't see any sort of drop off or um, when I went from the drab hat to the bright hat, and I didn't see an increase in fishing you know, over the years as my hat became more drab. And then when that hat completely died, I switched over to a bright orange Chicago Bears hat, did not see any drop off in my fish that I was catching. And a lot of people say that you know the hat is the first thing you see. 
I have a bright orange vest. My sling pack is bright orange. And honestly, not only do I think the fish don't care, but, um, and, and, and another caveat, I fish a lot of spring creeks. And if there are fish that are going to be particular and that are going to be spooker, spookier, it's these fish. The water moves very, very steadily. Not a lot of broken water, crystal clear, and the fish uh, have a lot of predators because it's small water. So the um, herons and the muskrats and beavers and things like that, they can get into them very, very easily. So these fish aren't stupid. Um, and I was wearing my bright blue, my bright orange hat, not having any problems um, getting into those fish. The other thing about bright orange and again, fishing in some places I fish, I would rather spook fish and not get shot by hunters than um, you know be uh, super, super sneaky. So anyway, that's a short word on colors. The second is sound. So small streams and those spring creeks I just mentioned are the exception on this list. Um, but noise is a perfect example of how the size of a river can really dictate your approach. You know, in normal circumstances, you have to think what about what the trout is perceiving on a, a you know a moment by moment basis. There's a lot of noise going on, and I heard somebody who'd done a lot of research on this and, and spent a lot of time doing scuba diving, and they said, you know, there are a lot of sounds underwater. But the noises that uh, break that baseline sound are what the fish hear. So I would say that's an excellent you know, rule to think of. So you walking in the riverbed, um, if you are walking and it really ramps up the volume of what that fish is hearing, of rocks moving, then I would say, yes, that is going to disturb fish. But uh, if there's a lot of water, so if you're fishing a larger river, you walking and disturbing a rock here and there is not going to bother those fish. Um, similarly, uh, if if you are fishing a stream that has plunge pools, if you are downstream one plunge pool from the stream uh, from the, the fish that you're fishing for, I honestly believe you can do virtually anything. You could set up a uh, campfire and have a boombox, and as long as you are not vibrating uh, the, the the water, um, you know, 20 to 30 yards above you, you're probably gonna be okay. Because I have done some really ridiculous things in the plunge pool below the pool I'm going to to fish next, and still caught trout. And given are those fish super opportunistic, and they're just really looking for a meal because of the the um, habitat they're in, potentially. But I do think that uh, there are a lot of environmental factors that mitigate the sounds that we make. So talking, you know, I fished in canoes and kayaks. I've taken my kids out and they've you know, dropped stuff into to, um, metal bottom boats and we still catch fish. Are we missing out on the most wary and spooky and potentially large fish? Maybe you know, but at the same time, we're still catching lots of fish and catching lots of good fish. So I'm not super convinced that noise is the biggest attractor of, um, uh, for, for making a presentation to a fish. Does that mean that you should, again, be just reckless? I don't think so, but should you, you know, be a, um, a stickler for, you know, your kids chewing gum in the boat or, um, having quiet conversations on, on stream banks? Absolutely not. Um, fish are used to sound, and so as long as you don't uh, really just rip through that baseline of what they're used to, that kind of variation of um, a little bit louder and a little bit quieter of what they're used to, then I think uh, they'll be okay. And actually, there's been a few times where it's gone from loud to quiet, and I've seen the fish 
freak out because of that. Once was a, a rock quarry where they were running some equipment, and I was fishing to some fish, and I was just deafening, but you get used to it. And as soon as the equipment turned off, um, the fish kind of freaked out. So, you know, it's not just getting louder. If you can be in those circumstances when things get quieter, that can actually bother the fish, but there's not much you can do about that. The third thing is shadow and silhouette, and this is a big one because remember, the fish is constantly um, on the lookout for things that are gonna, going to eat it. Um, so if you cast a shadow over a fish and it hasn't had a shadow cast over it in a long time, that's going to spook it because it thinks it's an osprey. Or it thinks it's um, some other sort of uh, predator. So, you know, that in that um, respect, you know, it doesn't matter what you're wearing. If you're wearing Dayglow chartreuse or you're wearing drab olive, the shadow or the silhouette that you cast are going to be of infinite more detriment to your presentation and ability to fish for those fish than the colors that you're wearing because you are creating an enormous obstruction in that fish's view cone, um, what it sees um, and from the refraction uh, of the surface. So, so that is really a, um, a bigger deal um, from my experience and from what all the experts say. You know, you don't want to cast a shadow over the fish. That's common sense. You also don't want to be a silhouette. You don't want them to uh, see something new moving across the bank. Um, because again, the first thing they think is predator. Um, you know, you, you blocking out the sun is going to uh, make them think that there's a danger afoot. So, um, you know, but this isn't just the sun. I've seen this happen with the moon also. I moved out of the, um, the, the trees were at my back, and then I moved out into the middle of the, the stream, you know, fishing a, a nighttime hatch, and uh, things got really quiet uh, in front of me once I moved to a point in the stream where the moon had gotten over those trees from my perspective, if that makes sense. So basically, I was a silhouette where there once was not a silhouette because of where the moon was. So we talked about colors, talked about sounds, talked about shadows and silhouettes, and lastly, we'll talk about angles. And so this is the, I think, the most important thing to think of. And, um, you know, your angle actually influences, you know, your shadow and silhouette and influences whether the colors you are wearing or aren't wearing have any bearing on your presentation. And so that's why this is the most important thing to think about. Your angle of approach is the most important variable to consider when stocking fish. You know, you can wear a vest adorned with Christmas lights and sing a sea shanty at the top of your lungs if you're downstream and behind a plunge pool. If you're low, if you're past the fish, you're out of their sight line. So this is where like planning and patience and foresight come into play. If you take the right angle to pursue your fish and to plan your casts, you know, and even visualizing, okay, where's my bat cast going to go? Where's my line going to go? You know, taking some extra time to hike to the right spot, to wade to the right spot, um, you know, these variables will put you in the best position and eliminate all these other things that you might need to think about if you're a little bit more haphazard in your, your approach to the fish. So might colors, sounds, and silhouettes matter? Yes, if you're on top of the fish, but if you can if the streams topography and geog 
technology and all of those things line up, if you're able to wade safely, then get into position and you can probably make a little bit of noise, probably wear a bright color and probably stand wherever you want to stand because your position is not going to influence that fish and what it's currently doing, whether it be feeding or, or not. Um, so, you know, taking those extra minutes, actually, if you think about it, can be much more valuable. And this is why I wade more than anything, not because I like being wet, but because, you know, I like getting into a spot and a situation where and I cast, I'm um, making the best possible presentation without having to um, really, you know, crawl or sneak or, you know, put on a, um, you know, a camouflage buff or something to that effect. So there you have it, four tips of varying helpfulness. You know, remember, you're smarter than a fish. Claim your spot on the food chain. Even if you're going to catch and release the thing, claim your spot on the food chain. Be smart. Be smart like a predator and approach the fish in the right way. This week on Casting Across, I had uh, two articles that I thought were um, worth your time. The first one is in... uh, recognition of Mother's Day. is called To the Moms of Fly Fishers. So especially if you started fly fishing as a child, as a teenager, or as a young adult still living with your mom, uh, you will appreciate this. Um, just some of the things that uh, a mom would have to put up with. Um, I know I am very thankful for my mom, uh, for everything she put up with, um, especially as a single mom of a teenager who was into fly fishing who wanted to drive hours and hours away before they had a license. Um, it was very, very special, and I appreciate it. So I love you, Mom. Happy late Mother's Day. And um, this uh, post is worth for her and for um, all the other moms out there. The next post is called Why Tie a Fake Fly. And this one's I thought was really good. Um, it is about a just a practice fly that I tie. It's a little bit of felt that is tied in backwards and it's meant to replicate a fly with a lot of wind resistance. It can be dry, it can be wet, but I found that wind resistant flies are flies that require the greatest adjustment to my casting stroke. More than flies with a lot of weight, more than um, you know, uh, flies that are larger, but flies with wind resistance. So think cup-faced poppers, think uh, articulated streamers. You know, these flies require a real adjustment to your casting stroke because of the way that the um, their uh, aerodynamics impact the uh, mechanics of your cast. So I wrote about that a little bit, and I've got some silly pictures of this fly that I tie. Uh, so check those out on castingcross.com. This week's recommendation is uh, actually very, very timely because as I am recording this podcast, my phone is buzzing from a bunch of guys that um, I could go fishing with uh, this Monday if I wasn't um, previously engaged. But it's a group of guys that I tie flies with, that I fish with, that I hang out with. Um, And it's not because we have known each other for years. It's because of just a local fly tying event. And I've written about this before. and I actually did a podcast about it before. But um, I really just want to encourage you, especially if you are older or you kind of style yourself as a lone wolf angler, um, definitely consider getting involved with a local tying night, a local um, Trout Unlimited chapter, a local... um, just even just a casting club, I know those exist in a lot of places, or a conservation organization. 
just to get out there and meet new people. You'll be just really, really blessed, I feel, um, with some of the stuff that you are going to glean from that, whether it be finding new locations to fish or getting somebody um, in your life that uh, you can talk about fishing and even more with because, again, fishing is just one uh, component of a really rich um, existence that we're blessed to have. So, um, again, for me, it's really timely because I'm thinking about not fishing with these guys and how much I enjoy it, um, how much I enjoy fly tying, but I would seriously just recommend finding something locally, whether it be through a fly shop or Trout Unlimited chapter or just something that you, uh, you see in social media, um, take a flyer on it and go have a good time, whether it be tying or fishing or cleaning up a stream, um, do it, spend time with other people. You won't regret it. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.